this, uh, this scripture that we have been walking through is a, um, is a real power-packed scripture, especially this morning, because it's, there's, there's two real concepts that I, I want us to gather this morning, and I want us to really look and tear apart here. The one concept we talk about quite a bit, but I want to I wanna, I wanna really, I think it's important that we continue to talk about that. And um, the other concept we don't talk about as much, and I, I'm, I'm really excited today to be able to share with you uh, what uh, I feel that uh, the Lord has for us today. But look there at Colossians 2, and, and look there at verse 13. And this, this concept of, this is a real Pauline concept. He really talks a lot about this, this concept of when you were, when you were dead, he says, when you were dead, this idea of what were you like before you came to know God. I want to remind you of that. This is big time for him. This is something we don't talk a lot about. We don't talk a lot about when, because we feel that if we're in order to talk about the past, that would give a lot of glory to the past or whatever. I don't know what our neurosis is for that. But Paul likes to remind people a lot about when you were dead, this whole idea of before Christ, let me make sure you remember what you were like. So this is what he says when he says here, when you were dead in your sins, look there in 13. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody, just to let you know it's not my words. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Then look what it says there. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away nailing it to the cross. What a powerful, vivid image that is. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The two images that I have for you today, I want to talk about this concept that Paul talks about here, being dead in your sins, dead in your sins. And the second concept I want to talk about is... God making us alive. God made you alive with Christ. In order for us to understand our aliveness in Christ, we need to understand our deadness before Christ. It's very important. It's a very important connection for us, especially in our discipleship. Ephesians 2.12 says this, listen. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. Please indulge me for a minute. And let me read something to you here because this really speaks to this concept that Paul's talking about here when he's talking about being dead. He says in Ephesians 2.1, listen real close. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but if you, obviously if you want to, it's great. But listen what he says there. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And look at the kind of the line of thought that he takes. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Satan. 
all of us also lived among them at one time. And he almost, now he starts to explain people like, people are kind of like under this spell of, of sin. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. When Paul is saying we were dead in our transgressions, what he is saying is that our sinful nature has rendered us totally unable to even respond to God. That's the concept here. Hey, listen. Totally unable to even respond to God. That's how deep this sinful nature goes. That's how great the mercy of God is. Those two things need to be thought of. Totally, totally unable to respond to God. The Bible calls us, we are separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God, following the ways of this world, ruled by Satan, under the horrible spell of our own cravings. We were by nature objects of wrath. What Paul is saying is that we're all under the spell of our sinful nature. We were being ruled by Satan before Christ, so ruled, so utterly lost, that we were completely powerless to do anything about it. It's important that you begin to connect your before Christ deadness, and the fact, and what I'm talking about here, is your utter lostness. You, we, uh, you and I were so utterly lost before Christ that we couldn't even think of a way to right the ship. Do you get it? It, didn't, it wouldn't have even come in our heads. It would be like asking the, the crack addict to right today make a decision to change their whole life right now and go cold turkey. About 99% can't do it. I heard a really good quote, and I'm not going to tell you who it's by, because many of you would be disappointed in who said this quote. But it perfectly describes what we think about life. And here's, here's what this person said. They were commenting on the issue that's taking place with Tiger Woods and his issues, his problems. Was just to make sure that we all understand something real clear. We were all Tiger Woods. And we all have the absolute and utter capacity to do that and a million times worse. And the only hope for Mr. Woods, and I hope he, somebody preaches this to him, is the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing that's going to offer him the redemption and the restoration that his heart and lostness needs. But this person said, spoke about this concept of what's going on with Tiger Woods, and he said this, anybody can look within themselves and find their flaws and fix them. We believe that, don't we? I would tell you that I believe that and you believe that and we believe that more than we would ever let on that we truly believe. Anybody can look within themselves and find their flaws and fix them. Do you believe that? Do you, do you think that's true? 
that we would actually think that we are the ones that could come up with some plan to in some way restore our lives, restore our relationships? Is it true? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the answers, if it's not in Christ, are all within your capabilities or mine? I think we do. The, uh, one of my favorite movies, you've heard me talk about it, is Shawshank. And the, the very interesting character in Shawshank is Andy Dufresne, who's the main character in the story. And the most interesting thing about the movie to me is the fact that Paul's verse about us being without hope and without God is the perfect illustration of Andy Dufresne's plight in prison. He's a man who is without hope. And his friend Red tries to give him hope. In some way, friendship is going to try to give him hope. Well, Andy found a way out, didn't he? He was able to dig through the wall and somehow crawl through the sewer, the sewage, and get out at the end of the tunnel and raise his arms up as the rain's falling down. At that point, he was free. And many of us in this room, as it relates especially to our discipleship, have that kind of theology. If we can figure a way out of this bad problem with my marriage or this bad problem with my, my, my parents or this bad problem with my life or this bad problem with my addiction or this just fill in the blank, we're, it's gonna, it's gonna, I, I, I'm going to be able to get to the end of the tunnel. This concept that Paul's trying to talk about, this concept where we understand the absolute diabolical nature of our lostness is even an important concept for us in our discipleship as we think about how we're serving Christ now. Be, be very cognizant of your and mine ability to walk back into the prisons of our own making. Many of us live there. What would Paul say to the quote, anybody can look within themselves and find their flaws and fix them? Well, what he would say is he said it in Ephesians. He said, no. He says this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Let me say that again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. God who is rich in mercy make, makes us alive. God who is rich in mercy makes even my discipleship alive. God is my only hope even in my, in my sanctification and my discipleship. Paul would say, no, for it is by grace you have been saved, right? You know this verse? Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by your works, because if it were by your works, you'd end up boasting about it. So that's this concept of deadness, this concept of lostness, and there's something else here that I can't get to. And I'm really, I'm really wondering a lot about it because 
It's consistently in Paul's theology to these churches. Do you remember who you once were? Do you remember how bad it really was? Why do we forget that? Some of you are sitting here in front of me today. You have literally, many of you, and I have too, we have trashed our lives on the prodigal journey, many of us here. Completely shipwrecked our lives on the horrible choices we've made. What, what is it about us that doesn't allow us to remember the absolute crap that we were swimming in, swimming in at that point? What in the world happens to us? Do we get so desensitized by a life that's moving and grooving and going so fast that we forget? Paul says, make sure you remember what it's like without God. You were excluded. You were foreigners. You were without hope. The very things that we hate in our lives. Think about it. I don't want to be without. I don't want to be a foreigner. I don't want to be excluded. I worked my whole childhood to play sports to not feel any of those things. And yet here's what I will do in my discipleship. I'll run to those things thinking that they're going to give me some sense of that, of understanding that I can get that hope. Think about it. Because the peace that's connected that Paul has here with it, and it is a real key to our, what, what you would call our reformed traditions, a reformed understanding of the word, is that once you understand how deep and depraved that hole really goes, your life turns, the coin drops into the thankful fountain that says, Lord, but you're so rich in your mercy in what you've done for your son. And I was lost, and I've, I've been found. You follow? And that's, that's, that's a beautiful motivation. That's a lot different of a motivation than somebody saying, this is what you got to do to live for God. Get it all right. Get all the checklists marked off. Right? That doesn't work, and we all know that. Let's go to alive. What does it mean to be alive? This is what I want to hit on today. Paul says here, And you have been given, I'm sorry, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. I love it. And I was really hit by it this week because I, I was, as I was studying, I thought, you know what, God, you, you truly are from the very beginning. You are our life giver, aren't you? Hey, are you feeling out of breath in your relationship with your wife or your girlfriend or if you're your fiance or your friends? Who's going to bring life to that situation? The Lord will do it because the Lord is a life-giving God. He literally breathes life into things. Through Christ, he gives us what we call zoe. It's the Greek word for life. He gives you zoe life. God is the, is the God who now, and here's, the, here's a good picture. This is how I was thinking about John this last week. God is the God who animates us. He brings full life. He brings action. He brings vigorous livelihood. And that's what he did for us at the cross. This concept of God making us alive. Now, as a side note, think about this for a minute. If we're so alive in Christ and we have Zoe life, why do we act so dead? 
answer. Come on, help me. Seriously. Do you know what they'd say about my generation? This is, that we're, I'm older than you, just to let you know. They'd say that we're just a bunch of cynical, tired people who just kind of, you know, we've been through the mill and we're just kind of waiting for the day that the Lord's going to take us to heaven. We, we're, we're cynical. What about your generation? Are you guys that way? What are you guys like? What do you, you, you shake your head, Matt, what, you, what are you guys like? That's true. That's very true. What? You're trophy kids. Oh, no matter what you did, you were always praised. Excellent, okay. All right. How about the question of what is it? No, seriously. If, we're, if we've made, been made so alive by Christ, why do we act so dead? We don't believe that we've been made alive? Okay, let me ask you this. What does aliveness look like? What do you think? Right. Yeah. Fearless. Aliveness probably doesn't look like this. Um, I am my addiction. You follow? And when I talk with a lot of you, that's what you believe. This is the defining thing in my life. This is who I am. I'm a drunk. I'm a sex addict, fill in the blank. I'm this. Is that what aliveness means? Is that why Christ died? In one of my other favorite movies of all time, and if you haven't seen it, please get it. It's called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. There's a, scene, there's a scene in the movie where the, one of the, the, the mama says, um, I know what, li what life is all about. She's trying to tell her daughter what life is all about. And she looks at her and she says, life is all about three things. Marry a Greek man, make Greek babies, and feed a lot of people. <laughs> and there's a young lady in uh, the movie. Her name is Tula. And she finally founds her knight in shining armor. His name is Ian. Tula is kind of, well, she's like, well, you know, many folks you meet, she she's, believes she's ugly. She believes that she could never be loved. She believes that she is a complete widow for the rest of her life. She hasn't been shown a lot of love other than this unbelievable Greek love in her family that's in many ways very, very beautiful. And she finally finds Ian. And in an, the, probably the most 
unbelievable scene in the movie. Everything comes to this distilling point. And she looks at him and she says this. Think about this question. Two times she says, why? Then she says, why do you love me? Because she completely had come to the place where she was unlovable. She thought she was unlovable, right? Why, why do you love me? And you know what he said? He said this. He says, because I came alive when I met you. And if we were to distill everything down, let me ask you a question. Would you agree with this statement? Is it love that makes things alive? I would say to you that it is. And what animates us as believers? What brings life to us and vibrancy to us in our discipleship and in our relationships is this animation, this breathing of life into us. This love that God sent his son to us. Even though we would be just exactly like the woman and say, how in the world could you ever love me? The work of Christ at the cross makes us alive. And that's what Paul's trying to finish up with here. And I'll try to finish this up very, very quickly for you. But I need, to, I need to make sure that you understand the, 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 the further, kind of the further teaching in this scripture. I want you to understand that what Paul is saying here is that the work of Christ at the cross is what makes us alive. That kind of love is what makes us alive. It is the work of Christ that puts life into dead men and women. And by the way, it is the work of Christ that continues to put life into us even now. And look what there it says there. How did God do this? What happened? Paul answers here for us in a beautiful way. What happened at the cross? Well, look, look there at verse 13b. It says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us our sins. That's one of the things that happened at the cross. It's one of the things that brings life to us. Haven't you ever felt the, the power of complete forgiveness when somebody forgives you for something? But at the cross, Christ's blood was shed for the atoning of sin. And that atonement actually makes us alive through the forgiveness of our past and our present and our future and our little and our medium and our big sins. Did you hear what I said, young pilgrim? All of your sins have been forgiven. Your past, your present, your future. What do you think about when I say that to you? Does that motivate you at all to love that kind of God? Does it? That's big love. What would it actually look like for us in this room to actually live like forgiven people? What would it look like? What would it look like to understand the Niagara Falls of that kind of forgiveness on your heart and in your, heart, in your mind, in your relationships? What would it feel like? 
How would you act tomorrow? Would you act any different? Think about the time last when you felt truly forgiven from somebody horizontally in your life. Did you not feel like the guy who, or the woman who has felt unburdened and free? Tell me this. Why don't we do this more with each other? Why, is, why are we so mean to each other? Why are we? Why are we so mean and unforgiving for each other? Is it because we don't understand the forgiveness that's been given to us by a holy God, by a loving Father who has mercy and grace on his children? Is that why? What would it look like for us to actually live and understand the forgiveness that God's given us and how we can offer that forgiveness to others? Some of you hear that message and you think, yep, this is perfect. I said, this is the message I need to give to Johnny because he hasn't forgiven me. Yep, that's right. That's what I need, all forgiveness. By the way, by the way, just to make sure some of you know, you, we are really all master master rationalizers at throwing what I call the throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And what it is is this. You've all heard me give the message of forgiveness. And so here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take the message of forgiveness. Three days later, one of your brothers is going to look at you and say, hey, dude, you probably shouldn't be looking at porn. Hey, man, just forgive me. It's just all about forgiveness, right? And, and the brother looks at him and goes, hey, come on, what's this all about? Hey, man, what you, what you doing? We're all about forgiveness, aren't we? That's called being a four-year-old. <laughs> the Bible has much to say about forgiveness and truth, grace and truth, right? But we do that a lot, don't we? Trust me, I'm an expert at that. Look what it says there. I want to finish this. Very interesting piece of scripture when it says here, he forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. By the way, the better version of that is actually found uh, in the e in, uh, ESV. And it says here, it says, it says there, it's by canceling the record of debt where it says he canceled the written code for you in the NIV. It talks about canceling the record of debt. And, but I can't get all into it, but let me just tell you something that's really awesome. Before Christ came, God instituted what we would call his moral law, and he demanded that everyone abide by it, but no one could, which basically makes us all lawbreakers. And what Paul is saying is that figuratively, there is this charge list, this massive tally of, and list of sins based on the law that pronounces us guilty. And when Paul uses the term record of debt or the written code, he is actually thinking in terms of this IOU, signed by the debtor, you and I, referring to the debt of sin that we owe God. Because we're lawbreakers. The debt was impossible to pay. You can't make payments on it. You can't be a good person and try to get beyond it. It's impossible. But Paul says at the cross, God has not only canceled this record of debt, he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. Do you know what Pilate put on a piece of paper and put on the cross? Do you know what it said on the piece of paper? It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But here in this scripture, when Paul looked to that cross, he didn't see the written piece of paper that said king of the Jews. He saw the written piece of paper that was the charge against all of God's people, the written code, 
the record of debt, and he saw it profoundly as the place that all sins were dealt with victoriously. And it was God, not Pilate, who put it there. What would we do? What will we do for that kind of love? Does it motivate us? And then lastly, he disarmed the powers and the authorities. In the days before the modern news media, the most spectacular method of announcing a far-off victory in the military to people at home was to march in triumph through the city, displaying the treasures taken from conquered peoples and leading the defeated prisoners through the streets as public spectacles. And what, what Paul is saying in Christ is that Christ is our rule. He is now our authority. He is our conquering king. And he has come and he has conquered you. And if you are a child of God, he has won. And you know what he is leading in his wake? He is, he is running around this, your life with his chariot. And, he is, and, and what's behind him is everything that you can imagine that would not be behind him. And it's your shame. It is your fear. It is your failure. And he has conquered it. He is leading it in his wake. It has been a, it has been a, a defeated foe and he stands as triumphant king and conqueror over it, over everything in your life, over everything. He is king. He is boss. He is God. You are not king, boss, God. And neither am I. Receive it. Receive this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Receive it deeply. Swallow the word deep. Let it go into those bones of yours today. And let God do something special with it. Praise him. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for writing, <laughs> canceling the written code that you have been victorious at your cross for people that really want to live and find it very easy to live in our brokenness and our shame and our sin and our addiction and our hurt and our fear and our fail, all these things, Lord. You have conquered them. You have disarmed the powers of Satan. You have disarmed the powers of anything that rules our lives. You are the ruler. And that is a hard concept for us to get. Lord, I, we just, I just ask today that we just bow on bended knee to your kingship in our lives. Thank you for the massive miracle of your cross. Thank you for the massive miracle of your salvation. Thank you the fact that we were utterly lost and weren't even looking and you intervened. We're so grateful. Thank you for your mercy. 
that you would even know our sins, our, our past sin, our present sin, what we're going to do in the future, and you still love us like that? Oh, Lord, let, us, let, it, that, let that truth move in our hearts. Praise you, God. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.